Hello, size 10 Thumbelinas and Lilies dancing on tables. I'm Joey. I'm Matt. I'm Kristen. And welcome to Messing with the Master, a podcast where three lifelong Tori Amos fans reflect on the iconic singer-songwriter's catalog by thoughtfully and intentionally reorganizing each album into fresh playlists that explore Tori's musical legacy, as well as our own interconnected personal narratives and friendship, which began with a shared passion for Tori's music over 20 years ago. This week, we're taking a sonic road trip across a post-9-11 America with one of Tori's undisputed masterpieces, Scarlet's Walk, which this past fall celebrated its 20th anniversary. Now, just a few things before we get started. Of course, the hope is that our listeners know Tori's music well and can recall the albums that we're discussing with front-to-back intimacy. But if that's not the case, we strongly encourage you to re-listen to the album that we're discussing this week, as well as its respective B-sides, so you can groove along with us. Of course, you may decide you prefer to give it a fresh listen after we played our cases for these reconstructed track listings, which we will include in the show notes. Also, an important note, since these playlists will be curated and personalized, our individual relationships and reflections on these albums, sometimes there will be some songs that are removed and some that are added, but it's vital that you know these are not criticisms of these songs. We are about as fanatical and knowledgeable of the woman we call Tori, her life, her artistry, her records, her live performances, as humanly possible. So everything that happens on this podcast is done with deep love admiration and respect for the gifts that Tori has given and continues to give to us. So light your sage and grab your charms. This is Messing with the Master, Scarlet's Walk. And before we begin, Matt, can you tell our listeners about how we came to title this podcast, Messing with the Master? Sure. So I'll give the most abbreviated version of this story as I possibly can. But Oh, no, no, no. We're talking about a long album. Give a long Okay. All right. Long description. (laughs) Everybody settle in. So in 2011, Tori's record, Night of Hunters, was released. Um, And Night of Hunters is an album of some original music and many variations on the themes of classical composers, the masters. So in her interviews, Tori would often say that she was terrified of making this record because she didn't want people to call her out for messing with the masters, which is fair. I mean, those are some big composers to handle. And I mean, even for a musical genius like Tori to be that disciplined, it's a scary thing. So flash forward a couple of years, uh, in a previous life, I was a journalist. I was working with Joseph. We were doing a special for pop matters, the website, called the Troy Amos Performer Spotlight, which we had done previously with filmmakers, and we had done people like Pedro Almodovar, Sissy Spacek, Legends. And the first ever music performer spotlight was on Tori. And because it was pegged to the release of her album Gold Dust, which in a sense is Tori reimagining herself, I sent Joseph in with a question because I wasn't able to do this interview with Tori, Um, And I said, Joseph, you have to ask her (laughs) what it was like messing with herself, because I knew like that's just a real Tory joke. You know, I think you need to add some humor and you need to remember that even though Tory deals with really serious and a lot of times dark subjects, she's really funny. You'll you'll find the sense of humor definitely on Scarlet's Walk, but all across the album. So I think it's important when 
we're talking about Tori's records, even though we have the utmost reverence for them, we also have a sense of humor about them because I think that's how she'd want it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Great. Yeah. And I remember when I asked the question, she was silent for a moment and I was terrified that she was not going to respond well to it because we've all seen if Tori doesn't like what a journalist asks her, she can pour her water on your lap. She can just right. stare at you and refuse to answer. Um, so she took a moment and she paused and she said, hmm, that's funny. And then we had a great interview and she really dug the question. I love to think about it that way. We must also note that messing with the master is, of course, we love puns, messing with the master tapes. We are messing with the 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 version that Tori, you know, put her work into and now we're fiddling with it. Um, and wouldn't it be great to, to go to Cornwall and just take the <laughs> actual masters and do what we wanted with them? Or says just, the man who's been to Cornwall and right. didn't swipe one master was was very respectful. We can talk about that in another episode. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. It's I coming, have. It's, it's coming. true. I don't want to like. It's coming. Be the one at the beginning of this podcast to be like, I've been to Cornwall. No, I mean I've been to it's Cornwall. Okay. Kristen's been to Cornwall, but I've actually been to the not studio. In, not in the same way. <laughs> you've been in. Say, you've been I in Cornwall. Been in I've been invited. <laughs> Anyway, we'll save that for the Native Invader episode, yeah. which is com- coming soon, I think. Um, coming next. Yeah, coming next. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Well, shit, I better that do that one. Too. So why are we choosing Scarlet's Walk for our very first episode of this podcast? Good question. Yeah, we're definitely not going in order. Um, we're starting with Scarlet. I think we were we were thinking about the challenge of the concept of this podcast. And I think uh, we can all agree, right? That Scarlet's walk is maybe the most difficult one to get in there and rearrange for a lot of reasons. And this will come out in our discussion of it, but generally speaking, um, the songs are so uh, connected to and tethered to the narrative that Tori is telling this, this album is probably the closest thing to like a novel that she's written. Um, I think she even kind of thinks that herself. I think she's definitely has said that it's her masterpiece, right? She said that on more than one occasion, she feels very, very proud, you know, very strong about the record as she should. The lyrics are, are incredible. The, the depth of the themes that she explores and the narrative that she's telling is really, really intricate and very well thought through. Because of that kind of dependence on the mapping of the songs and the way the story unspools, I think that it just posed a really interesting challenge. I think everything going on past this will be about dynamic and style and personal storytelling on our part. But this was really, really tricky to, um, you know, figure out and uh, kind of step inside of and rearrange matt made a joke he sent a message uh because we were chris and i were sending uh texts all day literally saying oh my god i keep rearranging it's the worst uh, the track listing it's so stressful um i don't know if this is the right one if it makes sense and (laughs) and matt said you two better not be stunt queens and just do the exact original track listing i'll walk out i'll end this podcast so we had a really stick to our concept and really try to uh, reimagine uh, this track listing. But I think that's, that's the reason I feel like it's the most um, 
felt like the most onerous one, like the most difficult task, right? I think so. And also, I don't know about you guys, but I probably have spent the most time with this album overall. I know we've all listened to these albums a lot, but this one in particular for, you know, whatever reasons, because it was uh, important to us at the time it came out because the tour went on for what seemed like forever. (laughs) We were hearing these songs for a long time. And I think because of that, those songs are really like drilled into that order for me, the order Mm -hmm. of the album. And it it was, it was, it was challenging, but that's part of the fun of this podcast is to make these different playlists to give all of these records that we like so much love so much. Um, a little bit of a new lease on life to tell a new story, to kind of weave together a new narrative like Tori does with her own Mm. set lists from city to city. Absolutely. That's very well said. Also, I think, um, I mean, I'm saying this preemptively because we still have the rest of the catalog to get through, but I think we can all sort of agree that through this task, it really shows you like, wow, if there was ever an album where she was really, writing recording and producing with the order of the actual album in mind this is it like Hmm. because you move certain songs and they feel like they're on an island by themselves like they don't feel like they need the song to their left and to their right and if they don't have them they feel they're still great songs because she obviously didn't do the whole album like in order every night like some musicians would do um she was mixing it up so they they're all strong enough to stand on their own but there's something about the production and the intros and outros and 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 the levels that made it really tricky because you almost had to recreate some of those dynamics for yourself and keep some things in certain spots in order to um oh look it's hot dog larry um former hot dog larry former former um (laughs) now he's the master now Uh, retired (laughs) um but yeah so in my mind that's what made it really tricky felt like i was almost rearranging somebody's you know book of stories and and it's yeah i think what came up for me when you were Saying that, I agree with you. I mean, also think about how much time Tori and her team spent putting that order together. It's the yes. longest yeah. time she had to work on an album at that point. Yeah, you know, she hadn't had that much time or money for production, and that right, was back right. in a time when company record companies were putting a lot of money into records that were primed for big things, and that record was primed for big yeah. things. That record was a really big deal. So you can see the work and the amount of time that went into it and knowing how Tori really does uh, meticulously put together not only set lists, but also album orders. She really agonizes over that. Yeah, Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I'm glad that you brought up uh, the record industry in the moment that it was in. It's really important to note this was Tori's first record with epic records so she left atlantic after many years and many albums and many trials and fights over her creative freedom and her marketability and all of these things that in retrospect feel kind of crazy to us like how mm-hmm. could they ever have denied her they had this like 
genius and um, I don't like to say in her prime because I think she's still evolving and still doing brilliant things but they had her at the moment where she was really like striking with the zeitgeist and the culture and they mistreated her so badly and she goes off to Epic which at the time was maybe maybe the only uh, uh, major label uh, run by a woman Polly Anthony who took Tori from Atlantic um, and then Polly before, I think before Scarlet's Walk even came out, might have been gone from Atlantic because just it was the, that quick. It was really quick. The politics of it all. So I so though uh, Scarlet's Walk was primed for great things, there is this. Um, we can find a copy of it somewhere. I think it put it in the show notes. The letter, uh, right? Yeah, that amazing letter yeah. that was mailed out by the marketing team, like about how, what a special record this was and how they imagined six singles and just like this incredible like lengthy uh promotional campaign that this album would like endure and then of course the only single that actually was ever properly released was a sort of fairy tale which was very successful but it goes to show you that like once the focus was turned uh the support of the record company dries up as well. And that's part of the reason why I think she toured for so long. She was so committed to getting the music out there and not letting this kind of repeat of history impact Mm -hmm. getting Scarlet out there. And that's why we, you know, had this multiple legs of the tour. Um, So it was an important time. That's another good reason to start with Scarlet's Walk because I think a lot of people would argue um, there's some debate in the Tory community. This was a turning point for her stylistically, the way she wrote her... Um, the way she wrote her songs and produced them um, and maybe was moving into a more uh, conventional, never sits right with me when I talk about Tori, but maybe more um, evocative of like re- truly evocative, like 70s singer songwriters, yeah. right? She was, she was moving back to like her roots and the references that uh, shaped her. And I think that that carried on beyond then. Yeah. What do you think, Matt? I, I think that that's spot on. I think, though, that maybe contrary to popular belief, those seeds had always been planted throughout mm-hmm. the records. To oh, me, yeah. one thing that I remember most about this record in this era was it felt like a very natural progression. It felt mm-hmm. right. It felt authentic. Oh, yeah. It felt very Tory. At the same time, it did feel a little bit more accessible a little bit more commercial but when you stand up an album like scarlet's walk next to something like boys for pele of course it's going to sound more you know quote unquote traditional and you can hear like musically and stylistically i think in songs like playboy mommy you can hear them in b-sides like honey you can hear this the Mm -hmm. formulation of that sound that would really become her signature with this record yeah I agree. I think that's well said. And also feels um, also feels quintessential at the same time, right? It feels like... Right. Because when you think about it, Scarlet's Walk is only 10 years after Little Earthquakes. Like that's crazy. All of that happened in 10 years, right? So when you think yeah. about it in that way, you go from Little Earthquakes to Under the Pink to Boys for Pele to Choir Girl to Venus to Strange Little Girls to Scarlet's Walk. That's a lot of... Um, that's a lot of output. That's a lot of style innovation. That's a lot of like, that's a lot of success. A lot of, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And those are all great. I mean, one, one, one excellent, almost 
you know, one could argue perfect. that all these albums are pitch perfect, right? They're perfect. Like from front to back. All yeah. of them. Ten years, ten years of perfect front to back albums, which is a rarity for a true rarity for anybody. Most musicians are lucky to get one perfect album. Um, but I think that, you know, we'll talk about this more when we get to American Doll Posse. Um, but do you remember, Kristen, we, uh, l- we were leaving the first show at the theater at MSG in 2007. And she, was, <laughs> she was Pip that night. And huh? this woman was literally with her arms like this and... Another woman was saying, sorry, I thought she was going to be pretty Tory and she was yeah. scary Tory tonight. I'm sorry. <laughs> and and it was just so funny to me that there was somebody who was walking out visibly displeased because they thought they were going to get like, I don't know what they thought they were going to get. And they just were not like expecting what she did on stage that night. So um, that's always been one of the true delights of Tori Amos, <laughs> but also one of the difficulties in existing within this 30-year uh fandom standum is that uh there's so much material that people really cling to a certain style a certain album a certain tour and they can then uh you know dismiss or denigrate things that they don't like as much and i think everybody at a baseline will always like know in their heart and be with her that she is a genius and she is truly one of a kind and will never there'll be there'll never be anybody like her again um and yet th- that gives them the freedom to bitch and to want right you know things to be the way they want it because she's given us so much so it's almost like we're spoiled in this embarrassment of riches and we can be you know um, nobody here because we love everything for different, you know, but uh, I think that's what happens when somebody has been as generous as Tori Amos. Um, you almost open the door for preferences to become complaints, right? Over mm-hmm. over the years, um, and but one thing remains the same: when tour time comes, those theaters are packed and everybody's losing that's their right. minds, and there's not a quiet moment because there right. are all these albums represented, and you know, it's um, we just saw it for the past two years. She, you know, valiantly managed to tour during covid and break it up and do you know in the end i think she did like 100 shows like as much as she had done you know in decades past so um yeah so with that i think we have to move into the next set of questions right okay what's the date of release for scarlet's walk you want to remind us it is (laughs) october 28th in the UK, 2002, and October 29th in the US, 2002. The world was different than it what, is now, guys. Is what were you doing place. in your world at that time? I was a freshman in college. <laughs> what were you studying? Art history at Bard College in upstate New York. Joseph, what were you doing? Well, I was also at Bard College in upstate New York, although I was a junior uh, in the creative writing program. And uh, Maddie was not at Bard College. I was not at Bard College. Um, I was living in Michigan at the time um, with my first husband in a place called Kalamazoo. Mm. Oh, you lived in Kalamazoo? There's a college. Kalamazoo College and Western Michigan University are there. I was not going to school. I was working as a waiter at an Applebee's. 
Ooh, this is Apple to beat it. Wait, Matthew does. Do you think Scarlet goes through Kalamazoo? You I feel Scarlet like she does. We Applebee's? should consult the yes, I do. <laughs> oh, yeah. she definitely stopped at Applebee's. I definitely. think that, that is apparent. I will consult the map, as I told Tori too in Arizona last year. We will consult the map okay. after this. Um, yeah. I don't know. I know that I saw a lot of shows in those two years, and there was a period of the tour that went through winter months and the weather was really, really, really bad. And we drove yeah. all over the place really. But I remember one show in particular um, during this era, it was the first time I ever got to meet Tori. I got to go backstage and it was from one of those rain auctions back in the day. And we got to go yes. to Cleveland, Ohio and we drove from Kalamazoo, Michigan, which is typically like a no biggie Midwestern day trip, right? Um, it yeah. was, we got on the road and it was okay. And then probably 15 to 20 minutes into this trip, it just, there was a, a sudden blizzard. What was with that <laughs> year? It was so much so blizzard. Remember, that's it when was we scary. got lost it was in Canada? Really yeah. treacherous and scary <laughs> drive and like, had I not spent money that I didn't really have on auction tickets so I could go backstage, I probably would have not gone to that show because the weather was that bad. We couldn't drive back. Yeah. Matthew, how much did you spend in $2,002 <laughs> on those auction tickets? Was it $2,000? It was $2,000. No, it was... It was, was he'll it never tell. tell. He'll never I tell. tell. Was it less than two? It, $1,100. Come on. It's charity. Yeah. That's it. Well, but eleven hundred dollars. Twenty. I didn't. Ago. I was. A, did you hear me when I said I was a waiter at Applebee's? Eleven hundred. <laughs> fucking. That's Applebee's salad bar money. Come on. Okay. I just spent like. Amazing. I. You know. We. I was a college student then, so that that seemed crazy to me that one would have enough money to ever do a rain auction. So now it's like. I could save for years if I knew a rain auction was coming well, up. Well, the only reason I had any money to spend on that is because I received random money from an inheritance. And it was a very, oh. like, oh, like a little well tiny, spent. it wasn't much money, yeah. but I was like, of course, that's what I'm going to do with this money that I'm getting. I'm going to spend it on backstage. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah, it's but it was a really it was a really yeah, cool experience and it was a really good show. I mean, it wasn't like my favorite set list of all time, but it was front row center. And Ooh. it was back in the day. Oh, they gave you the there good was no seats. separation yes. between the stage and the front row. Like you were looking up and yeah, Tori was yeah. looking at you. It was like that was mm. the kind of tour that was. But Scarlet's Walk, it was kind of hit or miss. Sometimes the stages were far away. Sometimes they were close. You really never know what you got. But that night, woo, mama. Well, so our first show on the Scarlet's Walk Tour was a similarly incredible experience. Uh, so it's special because we were in college together. We had just become friends, and it was the right time because the album was coming out. And we decided that we would go to a lot of shows together and more shows than I could have imagined. Um, Same. But not, not enough. You still went to a few more than I did, but like I had like... I was like using my like, 
the extra scholarship money that I had and like, you know, questionable things were happening. Very questionable. We were definitely skipping school, you know, as, as Golda says, um, I don't regret it for a second. I regret not doing more of it, but in context at the time, I mean, I still think we did like 20 shows or something. We Mm -hmm. definitely cut class and drove to Rhode Island and shit like that, you know? Um, but, uh, our first show that we saw was the last minute announced Riverside Church. And these were the days where like there were no tickets, but Kristen is exceptional or she was exceptional because things have changed. Was. But yeah. <laughs> no, no, no I mean, you are exceptional, but the the ticket game has changed. It's all like brokers and StubHub and you know, like it sucks. But we knew or you knew and you advised me, we went to the campus center and sat at computers, multiple computers, like crazy people. Like, like nobody comes nobody come into your work. Like we're like at a bunch of public computers on campus and we were just loading Ticketmaster, loading, 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 loading. And then at like two <laughs> o'clock on the day of the show, tickets popped up. Amazing. And they were gen- they were general admission. Mm-hmm. We got we went to my family's house in New Jersey, literally right across the bridge from Riverside Church, um, way uptown. Uh, and we show up and it's like five o'clock and there are, the line is like blocks away, blocks and blocks. Riverside church is this beautiful, uh, old historic church that has random events. It was like really incredible as she was doing the show there. Like we were worried it would be like a, like a, maybe like a promo show and not be many Mm -hmm. songs or like five songs, eight songs. Yeah, We didn't know, but we were like, whatever it is, we're going to see it. So we go and there's a, there is a crazy line. We are, the line has wrapped around like a year. So we're at the end of the line basically. Right. It's dark. It's cold. My, my sister, my cousin are with us. Our friend Sarah's with us. Lauren. Um, Lauren Peterson's with us. Lauren. And, (laughs) And my sister, who's a tiny little thing, and really, well, we'll talk about what Lauren did in a second. Yeah. Um, she's listening to this. She's going to. She's She'll gonna like it. Yeah. <laughs> she will like it. Uh, and my sister is a tiny little thing. And she was like, I'm cold. And she like talks to this security guard. And it just, just being like, oh, my God, this is going to take forever to go in. I'm going to have to pee. Like, what am I do? And the barricades start opening. And the, the guard just opens it for us and lets us in the front. I don't People understand. People start losing their minds, screaming that us. they've been there since the night before. And because they got nasty with the guard, he doubled down. He got, and yeah. He let, and he let us all in and was like, you don't yell at he was, a guard, yeah. like a, right, you don't yell at somebody who's working a show in New York City. And he let us, and he was like, what are you going to do about it, basically? We walk in, and we can't It's empty. It. It's it is empty. An empty church. And it's we empty. run to the front. When it's I tell empty. you pews. this tiny little this tiny little stage, we're in the front pews like this, looking up. It was at like the piano. this. Like literally like this, because it was like it was wild. There are Bibles around us. And the the Bosendorfer's here, we can touch it with our hand, just like this. It was wild. I could not believe it. And she comes out and does a two and a half hour show and we're right it it was unreal. It was unreal. And I 
made a joke. I said, oh, she's in a church. She's going to open with pancake instead of fairy tale. And she did. did. She opened with pancake that night. It It freaked me out that you knew that. I don't know why. It just made sense. I was like, oh, she's going to do it. She's in the church. She's going to feel it. It was incredible. It was like one of those perfectly performed shows. It was long. It just has like 26 songs. And we were so, I just can't believe it. So the thing that our friend Lauren did was she swiped, she swiped a Bible. I, oh, I did too. Oh, you did too. I have it. Yeah. You took Bibles, but she <laughs> brought the Bible to Tori to sign later. She did. At a meet and greet. And she was like, she I did. took this from Riverside Church and she had Tori did. sign her Bible. Maddie, where did you buy this record? Where did, where did you get your hands on it for the first time? Where were you? Paint the picture. What was, what was the feeling? What was Sure. So I think I, I was living in Michigan at the time and um, I remember we bought it. I don't remember the exact record store, but I bought it at a record store on the day it came out. And I want to say we bought the record in the Detroit area and then drove back to where we lived in Kalamazoo. So we listened to it in the car. You know, I think as as we talked about earlier, like the the marketing of this record is so heavily centered around a tour and a map and lends itself so well like it's very it's really smart to tie it all in like that but uh, a road trip so for us it was you know listening to it from beginning to end no skips you know right. my first memory of hearing the record of course is hearing the sampler there was a sampler that made the rounds back in the day yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Tori did a lot around this time to make sure that nobody was going to pirate her music. And she and her, her crew went so far as to create a special kind of glue to glue together Walkman. And they sent oh, yeah. out glued together yeah. Walkman so nobody could take the CD out so people could listen to the record and write about it. But it wasn't going to get leaked. And I mean, at that time, that's a pretty huge thing because if a record leaked back then you were fucked i mean like your sales were fucked and it was you know again i think a nice nod to her sense of humor that she did that as well you know like yeah amazing so my matt chamberlain cut his hand on it trying to open it he he was trying to be clever and pop it open he actually cut himself and i think you know the there was a sampler that made the rounds for for radio folks and press folks to listen to that ended up getting leaked uh, like they all do um you know special glue or no special glue and i remember (laughs) thinking this is the direction i thought she was going to go in i feel like this is really right i could see exactly the concept laid out i could i i could anticipate where it was going and it was really exciting the sampler had sort of fairy tale taxi ride gold dust crazy and pancake pancake and pancake. The- yeah we um we also heard the sampler uh, we say sampler. I keep thinking of like appetizers from Me Apple too. Apple like from Applebee's, out. like the yeah, like the, wings, the fried egg sticks. rolls, yeah, like the quesadilla, yeah, yeah, yeah. southwestern yeah, egg rolls. Yeah. By the way, uh, but yeah. oh yeah, and don't forget yeah, the mozzarella go. sticks. Right, I said that. I know, um, but I have them in the freezer right now. <laughs> um, so Chris and I were together, obviously, when the album came out. I'm pretty sure we went to. 
Target at the Kingston Mall. We went to Best Buy at the Kingston Best Mall, baby. Best Buy. That's right. Best Buy. And we didn't, um, they didn't have it out. Remember? We had to like describe yeah, I had to ask we somebody. For. It was embarrassing. <laughs> oh, oh. Ugh. They misunderstood us. How could I forget this? Scarlet's she, Walk. Walk. They thought we were saying Scarlet's Walk. W-O-K. And they're like, we don't have anything called Scarlet's Walk. Why did that happen? And they're like, looking at the computer, like, we don't have it. And we're like, Scarlet's Walk? And they're like, we don't have it. We don't have it. They were just like, like we're two, like three idiots. And that's one of my Tory Roman Empire things. I thought Lauren was going to cry. You were getting really mad. I was getting pissed. I was just like, that can't be possible. This is a major release. (laughs) Yeah, my Sagittarius rising was about to pop. This is a major release. It has charms. It has a map. It has charms. It's a, it's a, I need three copies. And, and we need to buy the one that's not with the charms. We have to get all like we have to get multiple. I need you to mix them up. And then eventually they were like, "Oh, you mean this?" And like gave us a box, and there was and there they all were. And, and they were so wow. beautiful. Scarlet's Walk W O K is the tie-in that never happened. W O K. Again, it goes back to that tour thing. Like we knew we were in for like not an album coming out, listening to it a bunch of times, and it's over. It was the album is out. Everything is starting. And that's right. really, and, and that really feels like part of the conceptual magic of Scarlet's Walk too. Like the journey begins and the journey is long and the journey is rich and nuanced and varied and, uh, but it has sort of a core to it um, mm-hmm. that feels like cyclical. And um, that's one of the reasons why it endures so well as an album. But I'm with you. There was a magic to it and it's meant to, I think she knew that she wanted it to sound like something that you would listen to on a road trip because it is a road trip. Mm. Um, and, you know, a song like Crazy, like there there are a few, <laughs> few songs that sound, that just suck you in on like a nighttime drive than Crazy. A Dark Road, the headlights on, Crazy feels like it's, you know, in the car with you. Those voices are all in the car with you. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I like to think that she designed it that way. Um, that's my feeling that she was really thinking about it as a producer on all those fronts when she recorded it that way, you know, mm-hmm. and even Matt Chamberlain's drums, um, they're probably like of all the records he played on the least innovative drums. They, they're, oh, they're so like, good though. They're very, no, they're, they're very strong, but they feel mm-hmm. like a heartbeat. They feel like an engine. They feel propulsive. There are moments where he's really, you know, like showing off as he should, but generally speaking, it's just yes. there. It's keeping time. It's moving us along. Um, and I think that, uh, it needed to be that way. Not everything had to be super flashy. I think that, um, she, she needed his presence throughout to, keep that time you know uh but it also feels like part of the road trip vibe that it gives us right you know one thing i i will say before we go into our track listings and i know we'll talk about favorite moments too but like one of my like when you when you talk about matt's drums definitely like a heartbeat like constant steady Mm -hmm. uh reliable um that moment of the drums right before they give me give me give me on mm-hmm. um, Sweet Sangria. It's so good. No, that that's my t- moment. There's a lot of, um, this is probably the album that most has like little strays. Like that's not, I'm not a musician. I'm, I'm, I'm not using a technical term at all. But like moments that feel almost like little like discordant accidents or something mm-hmm. that are kept in that I really love. And yeah. I think that Scarlet's Walk is really good for that. It, it feels like um, they wanted to leave in those little 
um, which I feel like a song. Well, obviously, I'm jumping ahead, but when I think of a song like a Latter Day Tory song like Wildwood, I think that those drums that she and Mark are recreating in studio have a Matt Chamberlain, Scarlet's Walk kind of why right, those little moments where something feels a little bit off and organic um, and not so perfect. And I think that that feels like a callback to that kind of Scarlet's Walk, um, mm-hmm. you know, magic that's being. Um, put to record you know and also the the immediacy like the, the strange little girl scarlet's walk uh bridge is that both of those albums don't feel the need to be um like super polished um or super slick they have a lot of um a lot of like a gravelly tory voice in a lot of those songs she allows her voice to crack in a lot of the songs on scarlet's walk a little bit um something about that it's like the perfectionist in her was making space for imperfection as part of the whole puzzle in ways that I think are really special to that, uh, to this album, you know? Okay, Joseph, we are ready to go on Scarlet's walk with you. Um, how do you start your playlist? Why walk us through it? Walk us through the violets. Oh, wow. Okay. Y'all are good at this. All right. Okay. All right. Um, All right, this was this was difficult. We begin with a sort of fairy tale. Um, I I had some. At first, I thought I couldn't Joseph. move amber waves, and then I thought about some other options. But then I suddenly thought there is no more quintessential representation of the era of Scarlet's Walk no. than a sort of fairy tale. Okay. Um, to my mind, it it sort of redefined things. It 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 created this. Um, when you start the album that way, the the journey of the song, the changes that. Um, and also, I was thinking about like if somebody were to hear it on the radio in that very very you know abridged version, and then you get the album and it's the first song, and then it cuts into this longer version. Um, right. That bridge suddenly brings us down a darker path and suggests things to come that are, um, you know, that are not what they seem and we're going to go on a journey that's more, um, that's trickier and richer and uh, more stressful and uh, terrible and wonderful than we could sort of imagine. So I think uh, after much debate, it begins with a sort of fairy tale. And then... After a sort of fairy tale, we move into Mrs. Jesus. Um, yeah. Uh, Mrs. Jesus finds her in a state after this, right? After this um, journey with this with, with this uh, love that was not meant to be. Um, she's open to new things. And, and, you know, she hitches a ride with this figure that um, takes her in an unexpected place. Um, to an unexpected place. Um and then after Mrs. Jesus, uh, we go to Sweet Sangria. We kick up the dynamics and we are suddenly, uh, she's confronted with her first, um, you know, really kind of polarizing uh, inner conflict and turmoil. Um, and I just think at that third song, we need to get a little bit harder um, because I think that there's a lot of softness to this record and I think rearranging things a little bit um to introduce some of that um, grit sooner works to the benefit of this 
track listing. After Sweet Sangria, we move into Carbon. Y'all, this is so different than mine. I'm shook. Good, good, I'm shook. good, good. Uh, from Carbon, we go to Strange. Ooh. Which is just kind of a small right. reversal. A flip, um, yeah. And after Strange, this is <laughs> where I'm going to get you, uh, we go into Amber Waves. And after Amber Waves is Don't Make Me Come to Vegas. Because I, I, well, I started thinking about the story of Don't Make Me Come to Vegas and suddenly it seemed like maybe the niece or the woman in trouble could be the the woman in Amber Waves. Because I think about Amber Waves and think of LA and porn and seediness and then you have Vegas right next to it. It makes sense to I me like that, that these, or if it's not the same woman, it's a, it, it's a, it's a, part of the narrative in which she is trying to pull I mean that's a theme that recurs Carbon certainly could uh, fit this as well her trying to pull these women out of dangerous situations which also feels like her desire to pull the country uh, right the bloodline America Scarlet out of it's Google she wants to weigh in Okay, um, and then after Don't Make Me Come to Vegas, um, we go into Crazy. Uh, wait, which, wait, which wait. Son- what? Amber Waves, Don't Make Me Come to Vegas, Crazy? Yeah. Crazy, and when you listen to those three together, I'm telling you, they... Because I was also thinking about the intros and the outros of these songs. Like, that's the way I do my playlist. I, I do it, and then I listen to the beginning. I go to the ending a few seconds. I let it go to the beginning of the next track. I skip to the end of it. So I'm all about the transitions, and Scarlet's Walk is really important because so many of these songs sound like beginnings. Um, we have beginnings and endings on this album. Um, and so those three together surprisingly do a lot. So after Crazy, we then go to Your Cloud. Uh, after your cloud, we go to Taxi Ride. Mm. After Taxi Ride, we really uh, pivot and we hit Pancake. Uh, and after Pancake, of course, I can't see New York. Uh-huh. Um, and those those don't need any sort of explanation right. for why they belong together. Um, and after I can't see New York, we move into a very specific um, back end of the album, Wampum Prayer. Mm-hmm. And after Wampum Prayer, I have placed Tom Bigby because um, it feels like the greed is the gift of the sons of the sons makes total sense with Tom Bigby uh, mm-hmm. because Tom Bigby is also commenting on late stage capitalism, c- corporate greed, um, exploitation of women and the land and it's just it's all it really packs a punch it sounds great together after wampum prayer i'm sorry after tom bigby virginia and virginia sounds amazing right after tom bigby there's something about it following it that's that's really quite exceptional after virginia scarlet's walk okay and then i have two more okay after scarlet's walk mountain Mm. Okay. And we transition from the end of Mountain, the return to gold and that sort of string it goes into gold dust. And that's how we end. Fascinating. So and there was something about the the transition from that ending of Mountain into Gold Dust that's really it gave me chills listening to it on the way to work. I, I listened to it a few times. Um 
and gold dust is very different from those songs that precede it but um there's something about that manic repetition of mountain that sort of reflection there's sort of like a like a Mm -hmm. there's sort of a breakdown that happens and then a coming back into the self that i think moves us into gold dust in a way that just works really beautifully now of course that means i omitted another girl's paradise and wednesday um and part of that not you know i i love both of those songs for different reasons um when i started to do the track list in this new way i really could not find a place where a wednesday or another girl's paradise would fit i thought that wednesday repeated the infidelity paranoia relationship crumbling um one too many times it didn't quite fit for me in this new order um and the lost in a place called america felt a little too on the nose um and I removed Another Girl's Paradise because that to me always felt like it should have been a B-side or like a like a hidden track. Um, it's very, it feels um, abrupt to me. Um, I like a lot of the imagery, but it feels, of all the songs, it feels like it has maybe the least to do with the overall story of Scarlet's Walk. It feels just like a song that she didn't want to let go of and, and found a home for in there. Um, but... Yeah, I've always sort of felt that way. As much as I love it and I love the chorus and the the layered vocals, um, especially in this reimagining that I did, uh, those two just could not find a home. And I was, um, it felt right to give up their slot so I could have Mountain and, and Tom Bigby in there. So that's my track list. So you, you cut two and you added two. Correct. Yep. You stay at 18 tracks. I stay at 18. Wow. How about you, Kristen? How many tracks do you have on your Scarlet's Walk playlist? And what do you start it with? I have... Bring it. Okay. I have 19. <laughs> Ooh. And I really struggled with this, you guys. You know, this, this is, is like... Hard. Yeah. This was a hard one. And as you know, I had my baby to this album. My second baby to this album. Not on the day it was released. Not no, when she, she she wasn't a teen she she wasn't eighteen and pregnant. She's saying, "I'm surprised." It was pl- it was playing while you gave birth. You're saying, right? It was playing while I gave birth to my daughter on Natasha's 18th birthday. Just let's just say that. So I feel. Did you it, plan that? No, but I was. Was this, was this actually, an induction? No, it was not. It, uh, when I saw the due date, I was like, oh my God, so embarrassing. I will tell you actually how I found out I was pregnant was I felt weird, but normal. And uh, it was around Christmas time and I was at the mall. You guys, uh-huh. this is like, this is a straight up Tori. I don't know if you guys have heard this story before. This is a straight up Tori Amos fan story where I'm at the mall. I'm at the domain. Matthew, you know the domain now. In I Austin. do. I'm walking around. It's cold and I feel weird. And I cannot, sh- like, I cannot make this up, you guys. I hear pink and glitter come over the music, music, and I was like, oh, I'm pregnant, and it's a girl, <laughs> and it was a girl, and I was pregnant, and her due date was September 5th, and she was born on the 6th, because I went into labor on her due date, but um, it was very stra- strange, strange, um, <laughs> so the this- world. 
so this album was really hard for me to redo but in a way it was cool to kind of have that experience with Ellis my daughter and that because it kind of like released a lot of this um uh like not like perfection of the album but like experiencing the album front like front front to back all the way through which is how I listened to it and labor had that baby and then since I've been able to like have a new relationship to the album um that's really that, beautiful thanks for sharing that Kristen that's really nice thanks, you guys it was it was really magical um but we got there baby was born everybody is cute and a Virgo and very uh particular Particular, but let's just have it have the record state that Ellis, your daughter who was born to Scarlet's Walk, actually really likes the album Scarlet's Walk and she will sing Wednesday to you at the drop of a hat. She does sing Wednesday to me, which is interesting because I cut the song. Not on, yeah, I was gonna say not on my album. So Kristen, tell us how you begin Scarlet's Walk, why? You know, you know, I love a gimmick as a marketer. So I went two albums. I went a pre 9-11 side A and a, did you do this too? And a post 9-11 side B. And I started with wampum prayer because we have to start with the woman who is like, make, make this album. These are our people We're we're here to give, you know, Mm. we're here to give, Mm. we're here to get, these are our people. I feel like one prom prayer, and and I do think we we've spoken about this. I think this is a bit of like how the tour starts, right? Like I I think there's a bit of that since we saw so many shows. For me, it's inextricably linked, which is how this starts to me. So there's one prom prayer. We start. I just went with it. It felt right. Then I go into Scarlet's Walk, mm-hmm. and I I've always thought that Scarlet's Walk was it could have been earlier i just feel like it literally walks you through it lays it lays the groundwork for what's going to happen she's we're walking through the violets with her um there's just so much imagery and it's very um literary i don't know i just i really feel like it lays out a map for what we're about to experience um and this is again this is my my pre 9-11 world right and so a lot of it is going back to like the old world. Scarlet's Walk is like, it's about the world before. Um, so mm. next we go to Tom Bigby, which is just so fucking hot. And oh my God, that, that song <laughs> could be an opener, I swear to God. Um, but again, like this old world, the old like back in the day America, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're going to go to Taxi Ride. Taxi Ride, very similar to Mrs. Jesus, she taxi ride like swoops us up and takes us to another world. And she takes us to Amber Waves and Mrs. Jesus. Both of those songs have major BDE to me. Both those songs <laughs> go together. I don't know if you guys think that. I've always thought those songs went together. I almost cut Amber Waves and I love Amber Waves. I just don't yeah, know where yeah. to put it. And I was like, oh shit, it goes with Mrs. Jesus. Um, I love them back to back. And that makes so much sense to me now and then we start to kind of descend into darkness and madness so we go carbon which is a real like a descent down a mountain if you've ever been skiing and it's starting to snow and it's getting no and it's starting to get a little (laughs) scary and you're like oh fuck like why why am i doing this like i could you know tear an acl you start to get really scared and so we're going to go down carbon and we're going to go into Virginia mountain and we're going to 
Flows, our pre-9-11 album with I Can't See New York. And mm. I really love Mountain and I Can't See New York together. I love the city spitting us out, literally and figuratively, yeah. to bring us yeah. into I Can't See New York. It's, um, uh, you know, stunning, those two together back to back. It's really, like, violent and scary. Um, and then, so we go to our post-9-11 album, which... Starts with maybe surprisingly, uh, with your cloud, hmm. and I pick I pick that because so nine eleven, you know I'm a senior in high school. It's like a beautiful clear Tuesday I think day, um, a week before the strange little girls comes out. Um, but I just remember this, you know, calm. At least it's I'm living in Texas at the time. I haven't moved to New York yet. I'm about to move to New York. And it's like this beautiful, clear, calm Tuesday, like beautiful sun in the sky. And I just remember being like, how can things feel so simple and light when such awful shit in the world is happening? I have this very visceral memory of both Scarlet's Walk, uh, or sorry, with... um. Your Cloud, but also kind of Strange Little Girls kind of tied into that. That, mm -hmm. like, Your Cloud makes me remember what it felt like to listen to Strange Little Girls right after 9-11. Yes. And this calm before the absolute madness and uh, the violence starts. So then I go to Your Cloud to Seaside, to Pancake, which I think oh. are really self-explanatory, and to, like, this minute, this moment of calm where like New York City and New York and the country comes together and then it just absolutely dissolves into madness and to war and to bombing and all of that. And then we go to Sweet Sangria. Um, same. It also gives, it gives George Bush, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> it gives George Bush with the Texan. Um, and then we go to Crazy a sort of fairy tale and strange, which I think Ooh. all work really well together. I love yeah. that trio. I play with that trio a lot. Um, some of Ellis's favorite, or the song she tolerates me singing to her at <laughs> night. Um, but I like those three together. I play with them a lot at night. And then I decided to end the album with Ruby and Gold Dust. I think mm. Gold Dust is such a beautiful, like, hopeful song. But also, so Ruby, like. I had a miscarriage before I got pregnant with my son, Luca. It wasn't, um, I wasn't that far along. It wasn't that big of a deal, but I love at the root what I miss she will carry. And I love bringing that to gold dust. Those songs to me, it's like a very personal thing. Um, I actually don't really, I don't know that that would, I wouldn't like recommend that that really be on the real album, but in this playlist, I was like, I like this for yeah. my story. And what you'll notice is they kind of start on the East Coast and I do a circle and back to the East Coast. And again, that's kind of like my story of like starting at Bard, marrying my husband who's from the East Coast and back and having that baby. So there she is. So I think I did a lot of similar things to both of you. And I'm going to just say that my playlist is an amalgamation of all the good things that you both did. However, okay. I, I did not cut anything. Oh, okay. I like that. I like so, that. You only added? I only added and I took away one of my ads today at the last minute. Okay. And I will tell you before I give give you the whole playlist, it was Seaside. I came very close to having Seaside on the record. 
Um, I thought it needed a moment of just complete clarity with no accoutrement, right? Mm -hmm. There's there's no piano only song on Scarlet's Walk. No. Yeah. So I thought Seaside really worked because of that. And then my central thesis for putting my playlist together the way it is put together actually is on seaside lyrically and that's coming of age so for me the entire record is just a coming of age record i mentioned i was married before it was at the beginning of that i was younger you know you um can hear sort of like the hopes and the dreams and um i start my playlist with a sort of fairy tale just like you do joey um okay i think it's i think it's the emblematic song of that era i really do i never get tired of it we've heard it in concert a lot we heard it in concert a lot during those two tours it still remains one of my favorite songs ever um and also when i started thinking about how i wanted my playlist to unfold i was thinking of I believe it was the beginning. I think it's the beginning of Sleeping Beauty where there's the, the the beautiful ornate storybook at the very beginning, the mm-hmm. page from the storybook. So mm-hmm. I always had that in mind, but like in the scarlet sort of aesthetic, like a very beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and just turning the page. And then it was like a beautiful fairy tale. So um, oh, it God. just was a really good jumping off point for me for reminiscing about, you know, your first great love, about self discovery about trying to love yourself um those are two very hard things to do ultimately and simultaneously so there's a clashing of worlds and i think there's a lot of clashing on the record and i was interested joey like you were in those collisions between the songs how they bumped into each other how they related Mm -hmm. to each other the intros the outros how they how they fit in like a jigsaw puzzle so after a sort of fairy tale, let's see here. Hold on one second. Okay, so I go a sort of fairy tale into crazy immediately. Oh wow! I want it up front because I'm talking wow. about first loves. I'm talking about reminiscences and coming of age. So that song goes right up front because that's sort of the the catalyst for the whole story in my playlist mm. order. So I go from crazy to Ruby through the looking glass. Whoa! 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 Oh. This is hot. Yeah, because obviously after you meet crazy, you get knocked up. That's true. So there we go. I think he stole that from your life. Sorry. (laughs) Okay, so Ruby and crazy are together. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. And it's really um, going from the end of crazy to the beginning of Ruby. Ruby's a very dark song, and I never really paid too much attention to it until after... She did it on this last tour where she really killed it. I mean, she really gave that song new life and it made me reevaluate the song. And on top of that, the remaster is so good. Um, It had to make the record. So, okay. A Sword of Fairy Tale, Crazy, Ruby Through the Looking Glass, Into Gold Dust. Oh, wow. Early. You have that baby? At the beginning of you, you have the baby at the beginning. So you have that grandeur and those huge emotional landscapes. And I like, I love the, the differences in style between gold dust 
and the first three songs. I think that there's such a mm-hmm. tension there, but thematically it works for me. So then I go from gold dust to carbon, postpartum depression. I hear that. Get that lamictal, your trileptal, <laughs> whatever you need. Move stabilizers. I'm on 100 milligrams. No big deal. Take them, Let's go. Take them, take them. Yes. Yeah. And and I loved the way I, I have all – Carbon's a great song. I mean, Carbon is oh, yeah. lyrically, musically – I mean, that the lyrics to me are haunting and the way they bump into the lyrics of Gold Dust, I just I love it. So from Carbon, then we go into Pancake because I think Matthew, this is so good. I just need to say this is better than anything. I can see why you were so cocky about your list. I look forward to listening to. Well, let's see how it goes after this. Come on. It could it could it could crash. No, no. I, fe- I felt like some anger needed to be released with Pancake after Carbon. I felt like those two went really well together. So from Pancake, we go to Virginia. Ooh. Because in Pancake, you know, she's talking about you and your tribe. And in Virginia, we're talking about the decimation of a tribe. Right. And right. From Virginia. Clockwise. Yeah. Yeah. From Virginia, then I go into Wampum Prayer. Uh-huh. Yeah. Makes sense. Sure. And from Wampum into Mountain. Nice. Okay, I'll wait. I mean, I think Wampum I thought, and Mountain I thought are about so that. flexible. They really are. I thought about them. Mountain after Wampum. That's, yeah. And wait. Kristen, similarly to you, I saw this as two parts of a coming-of-age story. So I end my first part with I Can't See New York after Mountain. And again, I really loved the outro to Mountain in combination with what's going to happen in I Can't See New York. And it made me think of, this is really random and really obscure, but Tori once talked about in an interview how she would only fly commercial. And she said that it was because private aviation had a very bad track track record with musicians and actors. So I thought about in this... In this moment, Mountain and the plane crash and I Can't See New York, I thought about Patsy Cline. I thought about the actress Carol Lombard, who was a famous comedian in the 1930s who died in a plane crash. Um, So I was really thinking about that. And then we also have, you know, another reference to that, as we know, is Spring Hayes and John F. Kennedy Jr. and the single engine Cessna. So there was a plane crash at the end of this record, basically. And that's mm-hmm. that's end of coming of age part one. So um, from there, the second part is going to be Scarlet's Walk into Sweet Sangria. Oh. Yeah. Into Another Girl's Paradise. Oh. Okay. It, it gets a little, little sexy around here. The rhythms are really I sexy. Know, I- Hold on. From a, Scarlet's Walk, Sweet Sangria, Another Girl's... So she's getting a little horny. A little bit, yeah. And, I mean, she's also, you know... Who's, wa- who's watching that kid? Well, she's dead, she's so, so... You know... Oh, oh that's dead. right. That's right. We're dealing with sexy, sexy ghost time. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It makes sense. I mean, if you haven't seen all of us... timeline, another Scarlet. Yeah. If you haven't seen all of us, strangers, go see that. You'll, it'll explain it. All right, then. Being horny and being a ghost. <laughs> Okay. Uh, from Another Girl's Paradise, we go into Tom Bigby. Yeah. And then we go to Don't Make Me Come to Vegas. From there, uh, Amber Waves. Oh, Amber. 
just like you did, Joey. See, yeah, you also have them back to back. Yep. That's right. And then uh, after Amber Waves. All right. So Amber Waves goes into Wednesday. And I thought it was really important to keep Lost in a Place Called America. I really, I felt like that was like almost like the sub thesis of my record. Um, mm. I think, Kristen, you you said enough about 9-11, but I think that that played into my decision making too. Um, the pre and the post, the before and the after. Um, it can also reference before and after love or a relationship or a friendship, I think. So I thought after that, your cloud fit really nicely. Um, oh, I like and that. And give a little bit of a moment of relief and gentleness. Uh, after that, Mrs. Jesus. After that, Strange. And I end with Taxi Ride. Oh, interesting. At the end of it, yeah, like at the end of it, I think, um, you know, the the character goes through a lot and experiences a lot. And all when all is said and done, even though it was a rough road and it was a tough journey, maybe she died in a plane crash. She's so glad that her friends or her, you know, significant others are on her side. Um, so... For me, again, it references falling in love and you know, falling in love for the first time. At least that's now how I see it. And I always also imagined this record as being almost like an alternate alternate soundtrack to the movie Thelma and Louise. Ooh. It's like it, road trip. Kind yeah. Of. You I know, yeah, that. yeah, exactly. And uh ravagement was a theme that i kept coming back to um being ravished whether by whether it's by a man by sex or it's by the idea of a lifestyle like in uh, amber waves um or as in the land being ravaged and being taken away from who it belongs to which is a recurring theme of the record as well right, right. um and then one other thing that really stood out for me through the construction of the playlist was losing sight and um, whether that's metaphorical or literal um, of what the country stands for. And I think that's something Tori goes and revisits a lot after this, whether it's in Resistance, her book, or American Doll Posse being critical of lots of different things. Um, I really kept coming back to that as a theme as well. Um, that's great. I know that we, you know, all of our playlists are good, of course, but I'm so curious to listen to yours, Matt. I really like this as, you know, I, I really like this. A sort of fairy tale, crazy ruby gold dust kind of, kind of uh, foursome. I wouldn't picture that. You mm -hmm. guys, did you think about, I put this on my list and I didn't say it because I forgot, but it's one thing that I think of. Um, the original lyrics to Pancake, the you like a blonde part, mm -hmm. that when I put yeah. those uh, uh, Pancake and then, oh man, I didn't put it next to Amber Waves. And I know Amber, of course, is, is of course not a blonde, but it, like that like evokes the porn industry to me, you know? Right. Um, I really like those original lyrics as well. Sometimes I just get like a, a hankering to listen to that on YouTube and I'll go find it. That's splicing, yeah. That? Yeah. I just love those original lyrics so much. Um, and I yeah. do think that they go well with Amber Waves. And I feel like 
when I think about this early 2000s time, I think about kind of like, you know, a little bit of like the Paris Hilton bleach blonde, right. a little bit of this um, like performative uh, pornography thing that is not uh, all it seems, right? It's a lot like darker and sadder than it seems on the surface. And that mm-hmm. lyric always brings me back to that. Well, what's kind of interesting about the verse of Pancake that she removed and also um, the fact that Tom Bigby doesn't make the record is that she curiously deletes those those statements about like the Britney Spears reference, the, the You Like I'm Blonde. Um, and I wonder if it's because... Not that, um, obviously, Tom Bigby is a song she performs all the time, but I wonder if Tori felt almost like um, she she didn't want to uh, cast aspersions on other women who she saw as victim of the um, victim of the industry, victim of the machine, you know? Um, yeah. So even though those are sharp commentaries, I feel like she purposely deleted them not out of timidity but i think out of empathy and i think didn't didn't maybe see the uh sisterhood or the mothering to those women if she kept in the lines about the blondes or put tom bigby on a proper record right um because i think that as 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 cutting as she can be i think she's always warm and um you know does things in the name of um the greater good sounds kind of cheesy, but I think that she does. I think Tori can, you know, can can be can be very um, confrontational, but not. Um, she never pun- She doesn't want to punch down. She never punches down, yeah, right? And I think that never. it would be punching down a little bit to include those a little bit. You know what I mean? I feel like it's also almost more of like a question rather than a a, a critique, you know, like she asks uncomfortable questions and asks Mm -hmm. you to think about things that are maybe like, I don't know, a little bit unpopular. And I think you're right. I think that those don't have a place on the record as it was released. Yeah. 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 And I think that she probably also, has that laser x-ray vision having been in the industry having like walked her own very specific path to her success um and even then being sort of this alternative niche and not sort of a pop you know uh pop curly um she probably saw and sees the industry um in a much different way than we do. So any commentary that she has, you know, not, notwithstanding, you know, 2007, uh, the woman we call Tori talking about toxic and stuff like that. Right. Um, which even that is like funny in retrospect, especially since on that very tour, she does that beautiful improv about Britney after the VMAs, you know? So she is, um, she holds space for both, right. For critique and you've got to do better, but also, maybe you're not doing better because of the the system in place and the way it's oppressing you, you know? Um, so I think that that's, and especially since Scarlet's Walk is so um, maternal Mother Earth, right? At its core, um, I think that, she's mind, that she was mindful of that and didn't want to like 
maybe leave that kind of message on the record or, or maybe have somebody misinterpret what she's actually trying to say, right? Um, so it makes sense to me that it's removed. But, I, but I'm definitely with you. I think that that's one of those lost verses that I think um, the pancake verse would be, I don't know where it would fit, because um, I don't know that splicing works that, that somebody did on YouTube. I think that ultimately she makes the right calls as a producer. Um, but I'm with you that it's a very interesting like artifact to have a little extra thing to be able to go to and, and think about why did she not include it, right? And, and what, what are the implications of it? Favorite moments? Mm, I mean, my... There's so many good moments. Um, probably my top two are the ending of Sweet Sangria, the mm -hmm. gimme, 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 no window, gimme a bloodless road. The piano is so strong. By the way, we have to give a special shout out. Um, I think it's all you can listen to on iTunes or Spotify now, but the remaster of Scarlet's Walk and Scarlet's yeah. Treasures is really phenomenal. And you hear different things. Like I was listening uh, to the album <laughs> over and over and the ending of sweet sangria is like just incredible it's so powerful it's so tense like it's the the remaster brings the piano up just a bit um in a way that almost uh the urgency and the the anxiety of that ending so the desperation the the plea for something else that she's not going to get it's not going to go the way she wants it to and the violence is going to happen regardless the blood is gonna is gonna shed and she can't stop it um and it is um especially given what's going on in the world right now the yeah. you know the violence in gaza and um it feels like it's very haunting to hear um that plea um and then you know i've always loved it but um especially since becoming a parent um the and the day that she came i'm freezing that frame is so triumphant and majestic and cinematic and um never fails to uh bring me to tears every time i listen to it so those are my two moments of many on the record maddie what about you well if i'm gonna get to give two um yeah sorry let's do two i'm cheating <laughs> um i'm gonna say for me um first moment is actually an entire song. I'm going to say Wampum Prayer. And okay. I have reasons. Is that after Mesa? Is it post Mesa? There was before post Mesa. Mesa, and after is, Mesa? It's that's one reason. <laughs> so that shit shook me. Mesa, Arizona, 2023. Tori Amos played Wampum Prayer mm -hmm. with the band. It was I just I can't even explain to you it the, the YouTube clip will do it some justice but while you were in that room it was like being in rapture it was dark it was like she was going through something I mean she was very focused it was very deliberate and it was very like soul shaking I would say and it was intentional purposeful direct <laughs> It made me really rethink the song itself. It made me think yeah. about the power of the words that are in that song. Also, it's um, to me another huge uh, emblematic statement about the record itself. But then also it calls back to her doing an acapella on Little Earthquakes. So it was 
Uh. interesting for her to have an acapella moment on this record when everything else is so full of instrumentation and so lush. Um, so I, I don't know that, that really speaks to me, but especially since we saw that live moment and, you know, got handed our asses. I mean, for me, that was just mm. like, woof. uh, and then the other one for me is, uh, the end of a sort of fairy tale. The very end of the song is just like, it's perfection lyrically, musically, all of it. The the singing Do you mean voice. the second bridge or the final verse or what? The or final verse. What constitutes the ending? Okay. Yeah, final verse. And it's the uh from the moment the beat and the bass sort of drop down a little bit lower than they were. Mm-hmm. Uh the choruses of the many Tory voices are taken away and it's just that single Tory again yeah. recapping her day. And I love it. It's just very, it's like honest. It sounds just real and passionate and sensual. Sort of, sort of, sort of post-coital, right? Like there's, there's a come down to that, that ending, right? Like, yeah, it feels right. Like kind of a, kind of a growth. We're all adults here. yeah, it's fine, guys. but it's it fine. feels like because it's it's very because it's because yeah. it's not afterglow because it's over. You know what I mean? Like it's not it's not a happy thing, but all the rising and the falling and the different dynamics feel like the dynamics like that song feels like sex. It feels like it begins, it ends and all the dynamics in between and maybe the sadness at the end when the the intimate connection that you have is not going to translate outside the physical. It's going to leave you with just melancholy in the end, you know? And didn't think we'd end up like this is a real um, slap in the face. If you thought it was going to be like a, a romantic thing, like that's where you get smacked upside the head, if you will. You know what I mean? And that makes that radio edit of it so devious because it sounds like a love song, you know? (laughs) By removing I mean, the, that three and a half minutes, it just like changes. The, the radio edit really did us all dirty. Let's just be real. What about you, Kristen? Um, fa- favorite moments. Uh, so many. Um, I mean, re- from the remaster, I think those like the layering at the end of you know I'm I love crazy. I think the right, layering at the special. end of crazy is so good. Oh my gosh, like. And headphones at night and the dark when it's like a little chilly at night. You just hear how they separate and how she goes high and low. It's so good. So fucking yeah. good. Um, it's warm. It's so good. Yeah, it's warm and on a cold night. It's like, it's yeah. like again, skiing, but you're warm somehow. You're at the ski lodge. You know, it just feels so right. Um, I think another favorite moment, though, you know, it's like it's not like I'm going to jump in the car and and go to it is those first few notes of I can't see New York. They are haunting. Like, yeah, I. I I don't know how to just I don't know how someone wrote a a 9-11 song or a 9-11 album so perfectly, but she really did. And um I think is you know she she really dares to go to a place as a writer and as somebody trafficking in emotions that's I mean that's a really dangerous place to go into just because you're setting yourself up for criticism but it's also uh just a precarious 
place to put yourself in as a storyteller as well. I don't know. I, I agree. That's that one. I I don't listen to that song a lot because I think it's right. like, it's in, it's so good. But I don't know that it's um it's very for me of its time. I guess even she tells us in the beginning of I Can't See New York. From here, no lines are drawn. From here, no lands are owned. She removes the political from it and she makes it something different. It becomes about the soul crossing over. It becomes about um, the loss of that, uh, the, the, the grief that exists for those left behind and the um, sort of incompleteness that the, the deceased spirit experiences because they didn't get to say goodbye because they didn't get to you know kiss one last time they didn't get those moments together um so she she does something it's not about the politics it's about the heart and um that is something that i think is really important it's a shame that the song didn't get uh credit for being like it was all about like bruce springsteen's the rising and like nobody was really thinking about scarlet's walk as this 9-11 album but to be fair tori herself kind of removed herself from consideration for that she moved the release date she, she didn't want it to come out on september 11th or next to it she had them bump it to the end of october because she has she has tact and she also didn't want i mean let's be honest there's a map there are charms there are drawings there's marketing gimmickry all over it um but she didn't want the music to feel gimmicky right so who cares if the packaging is like you know cutesy uh the album isn't cutesy the music isn't cutesy the concepts aren't and so i think that she did a really noble thing there by saying i don't want this to get sort of lumped in as post 9-11 sentiment right um she was very careful about that also your 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 choices about i can't see new york and uh crazy those are also two other instances of the remaster that i noticed today when i was listening um on headphones i was listening to i can't see new york and that beginning sort of like squeaky otherworldly thing that happens is really really uh extra eerie in the remaster and the very end things i never heard before there's like spacey sounds happening at the very end they're so low in the mix but it sounds and it kind of mirrors um mountain a little bit and crazy they um this was the album that people started getting like, oh no, we can't hear her every breath. They deleted her breaths. This remaster does something where like crazy really stood out. I was listening to it. Her inhalations are so pronounced on the remaster before every verse. And it's specifically on crazy. There, It's just a lot of like really deep breaths in. It's, it's really intense and it did not exist on the previous version. This is new to the remaster because I would have noticed it. I love that song. I've listened to it 700 times. And the like just little choices that were made to like create space and, and literal breathing room um, are just so well done. It really is a very, very subtle and significant at the same time remaster. They did a great job. Ah, well, this feels um, like we've done something, guys. All right. So that was Scarlet's Walk as interpreted by Joey, Kristen, and myself. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed 
And uh, we'd love to hear from you in the comments. Please share your playlist with us. Please tell us what we got right. Um, who was the most disrespectful? Um, who should have never added something onto their playlist, etc. We love we love to have um, your opinion on this seminal record. Um, next week, we're going to be doing Native Invader, which is a uh, special one for me. And you'll find out more about why then, but um, excited to talk more about Native Invader. And uh, we will leave you links to articles, interviews, and our playlist, most importantly. So looking forward to uh, hearing what you all think. Joey, Kristen. Thank you, every. Just thank you for listening, everybody. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Give us some five stars. Follow us on Instagram. Um, is it at Messing with the Master? Is that correct? We'll find Maybe. out. Maybe. We'll, we'll link, link it. it. We'll link it. We might, yeah. <laughs> thank you, everybody. Bye. Bye.